1: Doctor's Kitchen. Recipes, health,
2: lifestyle. When I'm talking about this, my you know, keep in mind that the ethical dimension of this is extremely important. Because we seem to be like creating technologies to extend our life. But we haven't created life that we want to extend. Sixty to eighty percent of the people don't want to live longer. I mean, it's obviously just a lot of uh, misconceptions about longevity but let's not discuss that so what i'm saying we need to fix this world like inequality you know, different social constructs our relationship with mother nature before we can actually enjoy our life in a different uh, form or with completely different longer health span and lifespan
1: welcome to the doctor's kitchen podcast show about food, lifestyle, medicine and how to improve your health today. I'm Dr. Rupi, your host. I'm a medical doctor, I study nutrition and I'm a firm believer in the power of food and lifestyle as medicine. Join me and my expert guests where we discuss the multiple determinants of what allows you to lead your best I am fascinated with the science of longevity, and I think this is probably the most disruptive area of science and technology that will have huge implications for not just health, but also drastically impacting culture, society, and the planet. Now, we've spoken to longevity researchers in the field, but today I wanted to open up the conversation to the drivers of this research area. Sergei Young is my guest today, and he is a longevity investor and visionary with a mission to extend the healthy lifespans of a billion people. And to do that, Sergei founded the Longevity Vision Fund to accelerate life extension technological breakthroughs and also make longevity affordable and accessible to all. Sergey is on the board of directors of the American Federation of Aging Research and is the development sponsor of the Age Reversal X Prize, a global competition designed to cure aging. His recent book, The Science and Technology of Growing Young, is a Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestseller. And he works closely with and is invested in the research and companies of people like Dr. David Sinclair, who's been on the podcast before, Dr. George Church, and Dr. Steve Hovath of the Hovath Clock. Given the advancement of science and technology in the field of life sciences, it is Sergei's belief that those who are very healthy in 15 years time will live to over 150 years old. So that means anyone that's under the age of 60 will reasonably live long enough to experience these technologies, not in the media, but actually in reality as well. We talk about the key areas that will disrupt healthcare in the next five to 10 years, including the technologies surrounding gene therapy, longevity, drug discovery and development, and how that's accelerating today, as well as the whole area of regenerative medicine. And we also glimpse into the future and talk about the inevitability of something called radical longevity extension. And the the key drivers around this concept and inevitability is the internet of bodies. So that's basically everyone's heard of the internet of things. This is the internet of bodies using pooled data resources from a number of different wearables to optimize individuals' health and using artificial general intelligence to power medicine. And we also get into the unsettling topic of transhumanism. Now, today's episode is obviously going to take a bit of open-mindedness, but I think one thing is for sure, the direction of travel is certainly increasing health and lifespan. And for that reason, we need to start having these unnerving conversations and stick around halfway through because I ask Sergey about his daily routine of exercise, supplements, longevity habits and diet. And if you're an avid listener to the podcast, you'll be pleased to know that pretty much everything that I talk about on this podcast is a longevity activity that aligns with his routine. And, and bear in mind, he has access to the world's best minds, the most uh, technologically advanced data input. So if he's doing what we're saying in the podcast, I think we're we're doing a good thing here. The podcast recipe of the week is my Sulfurusane Sauté, a recipe packed with anti-inflammatory ingredients, including broccoli, edamame, and a delicious sesame dressing that you can find on the app. The link is in the bio on whatever podcast player you're listening to right now. You can get access to all the recipes with specific suggestions tailored to your health needs, and we have new recipes added every month. And check out this week's Eat, Listen, Read newsletter that you can subscribe to on the website where I send you a recipe to cook as well as some mindfully created media to help you have a healthier, happier week. Something to watch, something to read or something to listen to other than this podcast. Anyway, we're going to start off with this wonderful conversation about the future of longevity research with my guest, Sergio Young.
2: about longevity okay and uh, so when i I look at my book i'm talking about you know three different time horizons so one is now Mm. it's actually right in the end of the book in the bonus chapter again it's twice as long as any other chapter in the book there are so many things that you can do right now and it's today is like high tech part high tech part of today is really about power of wearables, which are becoming our uh, personalized healthcare devices. It's not activity Mm -hmm. tracker anymore. It's something which will really Mm -hmm. help you to monitor and manage your health and manage a lot of risks uh, on a day-to-day, on like minute-to-minute basis, actually, Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, right now and very soon. Um, And the other high-tech part of it is like early diagnostic, just using like there's always three Tesla MRIs, the beauty of medical screening to detect killer monster diseases, which are responsible for 90% of our deaths after the age of 50, which are uh, cancer, heart disease, diabetes, and neurogenerative diseases at least in the developed world. Um, yeah, just you're know, doing the medical screening every year. As I always say, the the most important day of your life every year is the day of your medical screening you know, my wife has a kind of different answer to that question and she disagreed with me, but, uh I, I actually think like when I have 30 seconds on longevity, I push people to do their medical screening. Um, mm. and it should be as comprehensive as possible that you can really afford. And it should be at least once a year. And I, I'm doing this every year in San Diego, California in human longevity center. Yeah. Um, but uh, you don't need to go to San Diego. Yeah, a proper checkup is not a rocket science. Any meaningful, uh, experienced doctor will be able to advise you on uh, and arrange it for you. Um, so that's actually about now. And and so that's the high-tech part of it and low-tech part. We just discussed it. It's your lifestyle changes. Okay. Um, so then... In a book, majority of the book is actually dedicated to so-called the near horizon of longevity innovations. And these are the technologies and and scientific discoveries, which will be available to all of us in the next 5, 10, 15 years. And um, there are many of things. And this is where we actually invest with my Longevity Vision Fund. We're investing in, we're looking at 200 companies a year to invest in eight or 10 of them. Um, and when people ask me, like, Sergei, what are the most exciting technologies which should be available to us in a decade or two, which will help us to break this sound barrier of 122 years, the maximum lifespan on earth, and add decades of healthy and happy years to our life? I'm always talking about three things. So one is gene editing and gene therapy. Because we already know all 3,000 genes in our DNA. Uh, and we can either amend the DNA, which is basically gene editing, or we can influence the way these genes express themselves inside our bodies. So this is called epigenetic. Uh, mm-hmm. And actually, epigenetic reprogramming is one of the things that Professor Sinclair from Harvard Medical School and many, many other uh, talented scientists are working on. Mm. So if we can influence this expression uh, of these genes, then we can actually reverse aging inside our bodies on a genetic level. And uh, Mm -hmm. if we can reverse our own age by three years, become three years younger in the course of eight weeks, just by changing sleep, exercise, and diet, imagine what we can do on genetic level. We can actually find, you know, all the rare genetic diseases. And while they called rare, there are 400 million people on Earth who are suffering from rare diseases altogether. Um, So that's one. Mm. Um, And we we actually, on gene editing, we made a huge progress on that. 25 years ago, it took 13 years, and I think it was $3 billion for the United States Mm. to sequence human genome Right now, you can do it in just in, in a few hours and it costs a few hundred yeah. bucks, right? This is how far we went yeah. on that uh, thing. Mm-hmm. So the second piece is what I call longevity in appeal. I'm talking about a completely different class of drugs, category of drugs, which would not look at the symptoms of particular disease, but would help us to, to manage... Um, aging process and influence aging processes inside our bodies, slow them down, f- you know, kind of freeze your aging process or even reverse them. And it can easily be a new drug developed with the help of artificial intelligence. AI changed a lot in healthcare. AI is is a theme in probably three fourths of our investments in longevity vision fund. And um or it can easily be a repurposed drug. The drug that we already know, like metformin, uh, the old diabetes drug that we know for probably at least 60 years with pretty safe uh, risk profile, it's still a prescription drugs, uh, drug in the majority of countries. So you'll need to see a doctor and consult with him or with her. But uh, it seems to me uh, that metformin can be a good candidate for longevity drug. Uh, We still need to run a human trial. And there's a very good friend, um, whom I'm seeing in Boston this Sunday, uh, Professor Nir Barzilai, who is together with the American Federation of of uh, Aging Mm -hmm. Research. I'm a board uh, member of of our American Federation of Aging Research, are trying to start the massive 3,000 people study, uh, where in the course of a few years, metformin is going to be tested in the context of longevity drug, not only as a diabetes drug. Um, So the side effect of metformin, and this is the hypothesis we need to test in scientific terms, is certain life extension for uh, all of us, Mm. uh, or at least for the group which are predisposed for or have higher risk of diabetes. Um, So that's that's the second piece of the near horizon of longevity innovation called longevity in appeal. Mm -hmm. and the third one is replaceable organs or organ regeneration this is part of the bigger area called regenerative medicine like stem cells are there as well but well think about the old car we can extend as a metaphor we can extend the um, lifespan if you want of the old car just by replacing Mm -hmm. you know different parts you can never replace like an engine and um, and I think the technology the and the approach of the future for us is uh, at least, you know, as far as we remain in the current biological form, it's going to be to replace organs or systems inside our bodies. In fact, actually two most, different, most difficult things to replace um, are our brain and our heart which is not a surprise, um, mm-hmm. but then we, ju- it's just an example. So like to replace organs, you can use different avenues. Like you can actually 3D print organs. We still are yes. not there in terms of massive production in terms of uh, compatibility of 3D printed organs with our bodies, but uh, a lot of 3D printed organs um, printed from biomaterials are actually used for scientific experiments. And this is this is great relief and huge efficiency uh, driver of scientific experiments B- because before that, you would actually need to use either animal models or um, human organs for this experiments. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can do like 3D printed organs, you can use uh, other mm, animals to regrow human organs, like pigs. We're very genetically close with uh, uh pigs, um, or Uh, you can actually regrow organs inside our body, in our lymph nodes. And three years ago, we invested in a company called like Genesis. They're based in Pittsburgh. Uh, Amazing company. What they do, they take donor liver. And by the way, like liver transportation is, at least in the US, is extremely expensive procedure. It's six to Mm -hmm. $800,000. You would need to wait for a month for your donor liver to arrive and, and be available. And in terms of like organ transportation, it's a huge shortage of organs. Like so As far as I recall, uh, last year we had like 117,000 people who were on the waiting list for donors. Some people die mm. while they're waiting for their yeah. organs. So what you can do, you can take donor liver, split it in, into 50 to 70 pieces. Well, here's your opportunity to help, you know, not... Yeah, to give a hand of help, not to one person, but like 50 to 70 people from one donor liver. Mm. And um, they put it there uh, inside your lymph node. It's actually right here uh, with a very simple surgery. And then in the course of three to six months, your body will uh, regrow the new liver. And then it's just a lot of interesting things uh, happening. In fact, your new liver, like a liver bead, uh, stops to grow exactly at the moment when it takes all the, you know, necessary function, which is, is suitable and, uh, and, uh, needed for your, uh, body. Uh, that's actually pretty yeah. cool. So they've done a lot of studies in animal models, like with dogs, with the primates, obviously mice, um, pigs, etc., And it was very successful. And, um, this January, actually, 2022, they started, they got FDA approval and they started human trials. And they had huge demand wow. to be participate in that with people um, uh, from people who uh, have like a terminal liver disease and they're about to die mm. from their unfunctioning uh, liver. So I'm like really excited about our ability to um, replace organs or regrow organs and therefore extending the healthy part of our life called um, healthspan. So that's really briefly around three most exciting avenues, three most exciting fields of science and technology, which would help us to live far beyond 80 or 100 years, which seem to be like a current limit for um, human lifespan.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think just to anchor the listener as to why we're talking specifically about these uh, different areas of longevity research and funding. um, If you think back to the different hallmarks of aging, there's inflammation, there's uh, epigenetic changes, there's, there's breaks in the DNA. There's a whole bunch of different areas. And then also at a political and science level. Aging isn't as recognised as it should be as a disease in itself, which is the root cause as to why we see cardiovascular disease, uh, strokes, dementia, or the the suite of of issues that we we lump as lifestyle related. Um, so I think you know going after those root mechanisms behind why those uh, actually lead to the diseases of aging is basically where it sounds like your investments are concentrated, and a lot of people don't don't hear this and they don't understand why this is so important because we're not just talking about this narcissistic endeavor to uh, make us all immortal. It's actually about looking at how we can improve the health span as well as the lifespan as well. Yeah, so I, uh, you're
2: exactly right. And our chances or risk to uh, suffer from, you know, all these terminal diseases or killer diseases that I call them, uh, increase exponentially. After aging processes mm. start to um, uh, start to manifest inside our bodies, uh, it usually starts from the age of forty to forty-five with certain deviations. Uh, but like after age of fifty, it, it, like every few years, will increase the chances of getting and dying from you know diabetes, heart disease, cancer, uh, neurodegenerative disease exponentially. And 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 you're right. Um, there is no economic and regulatory model today to invest in longevity and aging. Like, do a simple experiment. Um, go to, well, if we are in the UK, go to Boots, right? Or if you're in the US, go to Walgreens or CVS and uh, ask for drug against aging. They will think you crazy or they would just send you to cosmetics or to supplement section, right? And I, I don't think it's actually logical. If we can influence something you know, uh, on the roots level, on the un- you know, on the underlying level, we should use this opportunity.
1: Mm, absolutely, and you, you've used this term in the book uh, called longevity escape the velocity, velocity yeah. or radical longevity extension. Um, I, I would love for you to give us an insight into what you think the world might look like in a little bit longer and I know you, you're known for saying if you just last an extra 15 or 20 years time you're going to have access to all these technologies yeah. that are rapidly growing that could yeah. even you know bring us even further um so w- w- what what does that like waking up uh in in 50 years time look like uh and and the things that you're most excited about yeah well?
2: so uh, this is what I call the far horizon of longevity innovation and yeah. These are the things which will be available to us in the next 25 to 50 years. I'm actually waiting for this uh, with combination of excitement and fear, okay? So some of these mm. technologies are really, uh, I couldn't really accept the fact that we're going to be using that. But knowing what I know about longevity field as an insider, let me share with you what are my takeaways about this whole thing. And by the way, when I'm talking about this, my you know keep in mind that, the ethical dimension of this is extremely important because Mm. we seem to be like creating technologies to extend our life, but we haven't created life that we want to extend. 60 to 80% of the people don't want to live longer. I mean, so there's just Mm -hmm. a lot of uh, misconceptions about uh, longevity, but let's not discuss that. So what I'm saying, we need to fix this world, like inequality, yeah, different social constructs. Our relationship with modern nature. Before we can actually enjoy our life in a different uh, form or with completely different longer health span and lifespan. Okay, so the, and by the way, I've just last year I've done. It was in London. I've done a TEDx talk called "Morality of Immortality." So if if you guys have 15 minutes, you can take a look uh, at this as well. So moral implication of that is important. So how the world will look like in 25, 50 years from now? Well, they, remember the near horizon of longevity innovation. And I told you like uh, within the near horizon, we'll be able to break this sound barrier of 122 years. We'll have all the technology and all of the science uh, to live beyond 120 years, probably 250, like whatever the number is. Um, so what's next um i do believe that it's almost impossible for us to live beyond 150 years in a current biological form so in the future man and machine will become one okay and it's gonna be it, it's actually the theme for my next book for my second book um and um we are we're gonna be living in uh, in a world where humans gonna be we're gonna be different versions of humans, like it's gonna be a world of human argumentation, it's gonna be a world of human body and mind 2.0. And um, mm. what are the technologies that we're gonna enjoy? We're all gonna be full of sensors. Um, sensors will will be embedded and and uh they're actually gonna be interconnected, so we'll have similar to internet of things that you know today. We're gonna have internet of bodies from the word uh body um in the future and it's going to be artificial intelligence which will help us on the individual and societal level to manage and monitor our health it's going to be world of nanobots which is going to be flowing inside our different liquids and inside our body and kind of fixing different problems doing diagnostic um as well um it's going to be a world of human avatars um and uh funny enough we were about to invest in in avatars and we were hesitating between robotic form and um and um uh virtual avatars and it seemed to me uh-huh. actually and it was shocking for me to realize that reconstructing ourselves in the virtual environment was much more efficient and cheaper so and i hated this idea yeah. so we didn't invest to robotic avatars because we were not sure they they had a winning Um, dimension of this development because i hated the idea of living in in a virtual uh environment but it was very interesting so for the for my book when when we were covering the human avatar uh, uh, part of the text i actually interviewed professor uh I think his name is Sasumi Tachi. Uh, he is from mm. Japan. And he was the one who invented human avatar concept back in 1980. He still call it teleexistence. Right. Amazing guy. Uh, and I also spoke to Peter Jackson, the man behind Avatar, Lord of the Rings, um, oh. Hobbits, uh, movies about the future of uh, the world and the influence of avatars uh, on that. Um, our brain is going to be uh, interconnected with computer power and with artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. Funny enough, we already have this integration with uh, computer power, with and with artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. and it's our smartphones. We outsource a lot to our smartphones. Like this simple example is, uh, we outsource uh, uh, the the task of memorizing phone numbers. To our smartphones right i just know like phone number of my wife and my assistant that's that's basically yeah Yeah, not even my parents um and uh this is well done we're just using very inefficient interface today like i'm using my eyes you know ears yeah uh to uh, my fingers to type something this will change so man and machine will become one uh Brain-computer interface, similar to what is done today by Elon Musk in Neuralink, uh, in uh, mm-hmm. and 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 the trade-off here it's uh, between kind of invasive form of um, this integration uh, versus non-invasive uh, form of integration between the brain and uh, computing power. Uh, that's basically it. Um, so here's the world, and then. You already touched on the point of immortality. I'm not a big fan of immortality at all. I actually think if you take out the death from the human life cycle, we're not going to be humans. But again, knowing what I know from the field, it doesn't look like we would need to decide one day whether we're becoming immortal or not. The way it's going to look like technically, uh, it's like every five to 10 years, you will need to decide are you going to live another five to 10 years? Are you going to embrace, enjoy, and use the the latest outcome of, you know, available science and available technology to extend your lifespan? Um, so that's that's the whole idea. So it's going to be like a series of your uh, life extension decision uh, every three, five years. Um, 10 years and it's actually it's raises a lot of moral issues as well because in the current world yeah. your decision not to extend your life is considered a suicide or consider it like a plain god so just a lot of things that we need to change debate and discuss on the societal level from the ethical perspective to switch into this paradigm of living but i'm pretty sure it's going to be available for everyone because the way technology develops itself. We're talking about the huge democratization coming to the healthcare. And um, like almost every technology that we invest in in longevity vision fund, remember, my mission and our mission is to bring affordable and accessible version of medicine and technology uh, to the world, uh decrease the cost uh of the against the current treatment or current intervention, current way to deal with particular disease by factor of five, 10, sometimes even 20 times. So the future medicine gonna be data-driven, technology-based, and it's gonna be much, much cheaper to the extent that I do believe, and I this is my dream, that one day the highest and the best version of healthcare services is gonna be offered uh, to everyone, for free, but I, I'm always being idealistic. So, um, yeah, where <laughs> the voices of some skeptical guys as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm a, an eternal optimist, but I do hear a lot of pessimism around this, particularly when it comes to equality. But I think you you made a really nice parallel in the book uh, with the uh, inventors of, the, uh, of human flight, um, Wright Brothers oh, yeah. and a few others as well about how, you know, initially when you're even broaching the idea of human flight, it's A, ridiculous, and B, you know, once you do achieve it, it's inaccessible to the majority. But, you know, uh, decades later, it's accessible to most people on average incomes. It's allowed an incredible amount of uh, globalization. where you can experience cultures from around the world and we see it as a net positive thing, uh, aside from the environmental pollution aspects, which hopefully we'll be figuring out as well. So I think that's a nice lens to view uh, longevity in.
2: I agree. I agree. All right, well, even in a world when Ryanair or EasyJet will You know, bringing from A to B with the same speed like private jet or you know business class on British Airways, and I really enjoy it.
1: What What's your main sort of argument against people who say that we shouldn't be entertaining this idea, particularly uh, with regard to how we are going to be uploading our memories and our personality onto the cloud, which almost seems quite inevitable? I mean, we already do a lot of sharing across social media, albeit in a relatively analog way. It's just like an extra step towards that. Like yeah. all my stories, all my information, everything is on social media. It's on my website. Everything's already been uploaded. So it doesn't seem that far a step for uh, yeah. integration.
2: Yeah. So what do I think? Well, number one, we doubled our average lifespan in developed world in the last hundred years. So it's, yeah, it's went up from 35 to 40 years. Think about this. The average person 100 years ago were living in this world you know, for like 35 years, okay? And um, so we almost double that. It. It's it's well above 70 years and above 80 years in some of the countries like Switzerland, Japan, uh, Singapore as well. So no one had a debate whether we need to increase mm. the average lifespan from 40 to 80, Okay, so this this will continue, uh, and and this will grow. And right now, when we have the access to exponential uh, technology and 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 different scientific breakthroughs, again um, supported and enabled by exponential uh, computing power that we have, um, I, I don't think it's it's really um, it's it's really a matter of choice. It's almost inevitable mm-hmm. from. From this perspective, so that's one. Second thing, we tend to think about ourselves as a peak, as a like maximum of what human, of evolution of human beings and Homo sapiens will look like. But we just part uh, in 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 this evolution process, right? And and future humans, um, well, they they should not necessarily be uh, similar to us. So we'll just we'll have a another. Um, dimension, right? Or the horizon within the human evolution process as well. And there are a number of, uh, you know, things there. Like people always ask me like, will mother planet sustain this whole growing population? And my answer Mm. is always like, well, think about food. Like in in the US, only 45% of food uh, goes to waste every evening from restaurants, households, uh, supermarkets. This is ridiculous. We have enough food on this planet yeah. to feed more and more people. Not to talk about advancements in, in agriculture. Energy, like re- renewable energy resources will will be super helpful in this regard. And and in terms of population of, on uh, Earth, um, uh, if you look at the latest studies, uh, the way it looks like, it's gonna peak somewhere around 2050 from current 8 to 10 or 11 billion people and then it's it's going to go down to 8 again by the end of the century china alone will, will lost in the current um uh in the current rates will lose uh 600 million people from 1.4 to 800 people and 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 all of, uh, all the parts of the world, with the exception of Africa, which will retain a positive reproduction rate. Um, the rest um, societies and, and, and population on country by country basis will become uh, older, uh, but more efficient, more productive and younger in biological age terms. So for me, it's not an option to bring um, longevity uh, technology to the world it's a response to the silver tsunami and massive demographic changes that we're already seeing and we'll see mm-hmm. in the future. And like, forget about 2050. Uh, I was just speaking this summer, oh, sorry, summer 2021, I was speaking at uh, Singapore and Singapore will have 25% of its population at the age of 65 and above by the end of this decade. So the wow. time is now, we need to respond to that.
1: So we actually started our conversation talking about this area, supplements, his daily routine, but I thought it would probably be better to listen to this in the second half. So we flipped around the podcast. So you're going to hear now all of Sergey Young's incredible morning routines and how that aligns with the longevity technologies that he's aware of and uh, why that might have benefits for yourself.
2: One, I'm father of four. So they're like, the, the best day for me is just at Saturday on, and Sunday when I can spend time with uh, four of my kids. Okay. And we live uh, by the river and a huge house. Um, we rent this. I'm not owning this. Uh, because All my resources. I'm not Elon Musk, but like he's a great uh, model for me. All my resources are committed to longevity and investment, not necessarily to owning you know, any piece of real estate. Um, so we live by the river, and I usually do like three or four hours of walking while listening to podcasts and uh, you know, different scientific lecture, lectures as well. So if you do, if you if you look at like Monday to Friday, uh, so what do I do? Uh, when I start, uh, I have like thirty minutes. It's not a magic morning. I don't know if your audience is um, is familiar with the magic uh, morning book and routine. It's not like a magic morning, but this is my version of the magic moment. so I need to do something for my body I need to do something for my brain and I need to do something for my soul so body um, it's usually i i Six out of seven mornings uh, during the week, with exception of Saturday morning, I start with physical exercises. So, you know, twice a week I do yoga and stretching. Twice a week I do functional um, training. And twice a week I do glottis. Um So that's, that's kind of my body thing. Uh, then for, um, for my brain, uh, I, I just usually do like five or 10 minutes of reading. And, uh, and usually it's pretty, you know, science-heavy literature uh, or something dedicated to uh, human health and biology. Um, like the latest string was Younger You by Dr. Car, uh, uh, I think it's Car Fitzgerald, um, who's done this amazing study when they reversed the aging in a group of people by 3 years so that all of them became 3 years younger uh, in the course just uh, of just 8 weeks changing what is the miracle uh tools sleep habits physical exercise habits and the diet i love it i love it when we all be, uh, you know can become younger almost like free of charge uh, in the course of um, eight weeks so younger you um, yeah I'm, I'm reading the new Kit uh, book about uh, he called it present of work not the future of work uh, he's a very good friend of mine Kit Ferrazzi is the author of never eat alone like the best and, and the most famous networking book um, um, in the world I think uh, so so that's that's my kind of brain stuff when I'm just trying to read something in the morning which I can use for my kind of thinking processes and reflection time uh, during the day. And for the soul, it's usually like, it, I'm, I'm like less disciplined of doing, uh, in doing something for my soul. So like every, and I doing this probably every second morning, not every morning, because uh, I'm kind of lazy and I uh, have attention deficit disorder. I have so many things on my plate intentionally. Uh, it's usually like meditation or gratefulness or reading something, uh, of the spiritual nature. Um, that's it. Yeah. So like once a week I just do like meditation on, uh, how do you call it in English? It's like, uh, nail beds, something like, like, you know, piece of wood with a lot of nails on it. and You just stand on that. Yeah, it's pretty painful. This is like probably the most painful experience I've ever had. But after first five minutes, you actually can you know stay on that for as long as you want. I usually do like forty to fifty minutes, and that's uh, it's very interesting. So that's that's my morning routine. So then I do. So I'm just trying to integrate in the picture of my day for our audience. I was just trying to integrate the different longevity habits that I'm, I'm using. So that's kind of one. Then the second thing, if, if you look at my kind of food consumption pattern, uh, I'm a big fan of fasting, uh, which is not a surprise because there's a lot of disagreement in the scientific communities what actually extends our lifespan. But it's one agreement. Uh, Decreasing our calorie intake would actually add at least two, three, or even five healthy years to your life. So I'm, I'm a big fan of it. I, I, I love this whole kind of access of energy that I get in the end of fasting. So I, I actually do like two types of fasting, three times. One every day, I'm, I you know I try to fast um, at least uh, for like 18 hours, including my sleep time, and then my so my food consumption window is within like six hours. And it's you know I'm, I'm not really a morning person. So that's why it's always like a lunch and a dinner uh, between 12 and 6. So that's kind of one type of fasting. It's called intermittent fasting. Obviously, you, your audience heard about this, this thing. And it's like easiest thing to, to um where you can start uh, developing your fasting habits. The second type of fasting, uh, which is weekly fast, I usually do Sunday evening to Tuesday morning. And it's 36-hour fast. And I love it as well. I started with 24 hours, but then I thought, okay, you know, I'm going to go to bed in the next hour or two. Okay. So can I just extend my fast for like from 24 hours to like 36 hours? Because I'm sleeping anyway. I mean, I'm not taking any food uh, during my sleep time. So this is what I do on a weekly basis. And then once every six months, I'm going to detox center and I usually do like four to five uh, days fast. All of my fasting is with uh, like a lemon water or herbal tea, etc. I actually tried like a dry fasting a few times for like th- 36 hours without any liquid uh, taken. I like it more, but I still didn't feel that it's it's like the friendliest routine to my body. So I actually I actually thought like fasting with water, or herbal tea is uh, like a safest way to do it. For some of the people, it's uh, fasting um, cannot be natural or against their medical condition. So, like if you if you're trying to experiment with fasting, probably intermittent fasting is fine to experiment with. But for longer fast, I would actually consult with your doctor first, and then you can uh, you can start it. So I I love this the kind of whole fasting thing, and that's why. So my diet is mostly plant plant based. Because this is the easiest. So, I mean, it's, it's easy to say, Sergey, you need to, you know, eat at least or take out at least 20 or 25% of your calorie intake. But it's really difficult to do. So fasting is helpful because automatically you just take out a lot of uh, extra calories from your day or from your week. Um, my second uh, tool on that, I don't do any added sugar food or drinks. and And actually, you know, I'm uh, uh, I'm a CEO of the fund, so my team uh, they don't have a choice like getting access to, to good drinks. So if you look at our small kitchenette that we have in the in the office, it's it's like lemonade that we produce ourselves with no sugar, just lemons, grapefruits uh, there as well, uh, different herbal teas, decaf coffee is always offered. I'm on decaf coffee for the last um, four years because I'm very. Res- I'm very like receptive to the caffeine. Uh, and like, if, if I would drink a couple of espressos of like 2 p.m., then I'll go to bed around 1 or 2 a.m. And actually my deep sleep moves from kind of midnight uh, or from the beginning of the sleep time towards the morning, which is not really helpful. Um, but I love coffee. So I, you know, I do like three or five um, espresso equivalents every day with, uh, usually with coconut milk. Uh, and, um, and I really, I, I actually do think the current level of development of um, uh, coffee production uh, is so advanced. So you couldn't really tell the difference whether it's you know, uh, decaf or normal coffee um, as well. So then again, how do I decrease my calories? One is, is uh, mostly plant-based um, sorry, first is fasting. Second, yeah, I took out all the sugar, uh, from food and drinks. And third, I'm mostly plant-based. I'm not really religious in terms of you know, becoming a vegetarian, but a lot of my friends are vegans. Um, but I'm trying to balance my diet. So I decrease really radically my, my intake of animal protein and fish protein as well. And if, if I do it, then it's, um, in most of the cases, uh, it's organic. Um, And some people think it's expensive. I I was actually looking at the study done in the US a couple of years ago when... when, on a family basis, uh, if families switch to more plant-based version of the diet, so like integrate more plants and vegetables in their diet, and they prepare it at home, they actually saves at least nine hundred and fifty dollars per household on on, uh, on the annual basis. So that's that's actually healthy for your finances um, as well. So that's kind of food stuff. Um, I'm trying not to eat after six p.m. Uh, thought I, you know I, I love doing that. But uh, it's not necessarily helpful for my sleep as well. So we'll come back to the sleep in, in the end of um, of conversation. So what we covered uh, morning um, fasting and diet habits and the physical exercises. We we did discuss you know, you know that I'm doing something like six out of seven days um, every week. What is important for me is doing my 10,000 steps a day. And we have this binary view of um, of uh, how our physical activity should look like. So it's either like I'm, I'm just sitting at home uh, watching the screen where other people do uh, football, you know, or uh, <clears throat> any other sport. So this is my way to exercise or the other extreme, you know, I need to run the marathon or I need to uh, become an Man or Woman. So uh, I do think there's something in between, and, and doing ten thousand steps a day, measured by your favorite wearable, whatever you like, um, is a great baseline because it helps your body, like it helps with a lot of things in terms of your metabolic balance, um joints, um bones, um, uh, muscles, uh, activity, etc. So um that's what I'm doing, and I'm again. I'm like in my case, I'm using either Whoop or or Apple Watch to measure 10,000 steps uh, a day as well. And I'm integrated walking in a lot of um, activities that I do during the day. Uh, usually, at least one or two Zoom calls I'm doing when I'm walking, and it's pretty cool. I have very strong right hand because of that because I need to carry. My smartphone, so people can see me on Zoom. But it's uh, I think it's it's kind of cool that we can integrate walking in so many parts of our life. What else? Uh, obviously, you know, I I'm avoiding all the bad habits, so I'm not uh, smoking. Uh, I did uh, probably four years of smoking when I was young and when I was a student, but uh, I was 25 years ago. I'm 50 now, uh, if you in, by my chronological age, my biological age. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah so my biological age is uh somewhere around 43 uh at the moment but it was 25 years ago and uh, and so i don't do smoking because smoking is like literally 10 minus 10 minus 10 years from your lifespan and health span it's almost like a cancer lottery in a way i always use in my seat belts even if i'm on a rare seat and even if when i'm in a country where you can actually avoid using your seat belts on the rear uh, seat of your car. Uh, I don't, I voted, you know, all this spike of interest into motorcycle riding. What I've seen in a circle of my friends. I don't know if you've seen this uh, graph uh, or this chart. I think it was done by Harley Davidson. And uh, it's for the male and, and how this sales volume for motorcycles looks through the years, for age, different age cohorts for men. So it's like this, this, and this. And then around 45, it peaks like that, and it goes down. So motorcycle riding is uh, 17 times more mortal and more dangerous than driving a car. So, uh, so this, this whole piece that we just discussed in the last two minutes, for me, is don't die stupid or don't do stupid or passive longevity, if you want to have a polite way of uh, uh, saying that. Um, so we mostly covered, uh, this one. And finally, in terms of our spiritual health, this there's, there's important part of my, you know, different longevity buckets that I cover in the book, by the way, the book called the science and technology of growing young, it was published August last year and immediately became Wall Street Journal bestseller USA Today bestseller number one on Amazon in three different categories. So it became very popular, the, the, the largest part of the book, the largest chapter in the book is a bonus chapter called who wants to live forever, but it's not about living forever. It's about 10 longevity choices that you can make. And so, um, and I do believe that um, the final part of it, which I call it peace of mind uh, is extremely important. So I actually put sleep there because sleep is very important for our hormonal and um, our mental health as well. My rule is eight hours in the bed which is seven hours of sleep, and uh, quoting one of my friends who uh, owns uh, and runs Longevity Clinic in London. Uh, every evening, we can visit the most powerful clinic in the world. Uh, we go to bed, so it, it's it's a it's a really nice way of um, of putting uh, or highlighting importance of sleep for us. I'm I'm I changed my relationship with sleep after reading. Um, why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. Yeah. And uh, before that, I was just using my sleep hours like an endless credit to do some other stuff in life. Right now, I'm, I'm actually pretty disciplined in terms of spending eight hours uh, in a bed. And I'm, I'm using Aura Ring during the night. So I'm taking out my Whoop and I'm taking out my Apple Watch. Um, and I do think Aura has a very good algorithm, specifically Aura 3.0. Uh, for different sleep stages so I'm trying to maximize my deep sleep for this to be at least two hours every night I started with 30 to 45 minutes and um, I think it was Dave Esprit a very good friend uh, father of biohacking in the world and Matthew Walker with uh, his book influenced me and gave me a lot of uh, small tips how to uh, structure my approach to sleep and maximize my deep sleep and my sleep hours uh, um, as well. Um, yeah, but also the rest is like meditation, uh, sense of purpose. It, it is very important to have healthy relationship with, uh, with the world, give more than you take, make other people winners, manage your ego and uh, trying to do something for the world to become a better place. So this I found my mission back in 2014 after my personal health crisis, and uh, it's been probably the most enjoyable part of my life. Uh, And there's the other and final comment on that. um, I actually start my day with mantra while I'm still in the bed, and this mantra is in the context of psychological aspects of aging. Uh, There's a part of my book. It's actually called "Think and Grow Young." which says, uh, which like, if you think about yourself, like, as a younger person, your body will respond to that on so many levels and systems. So a few years ago, I started to, to, to begin my day with the mantra, um, which I'm repeating a few times in the morning. And it says, I'm going to be living 200 years in a body of 25 years old, man. And my body responds to that beautifully. Um, so, in fact, I actually have four ages. You want to hear about this? One is chronological. I'm 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 50 years old. I'm 50 years young. Okay? I'm Sergey, so 50 years young. Then my biological age, measured by a set of biomarkers and photo and video age, which is basically AI measuring, uh, predicting your biological age uh, by using your photo and video, is uh, 43 years. Then I feel myself like I'm 35 years young. And then, but my target age, psychological age, as you just heard is 25. So yeah, I have like four different ages and this is the beautiful psychological experiment that all of us can do. Just in the next month or so, start every morning with with your thoughts that you are much, much younger than, uh, than the figure that you see in your own passport. And look how your body and, and mind will respond to that. You'll see the difference. It's just amazing. And I, okay, yeah. I, so I can go on and on about different, <laughs> we still haven't covered supplements. This is supplements, my, yeah. yeah, this is my afternoon set of supplements. I'm a big fan of supplements because I'm a typical placebo guy. Like 30 <laughs> to 40%, 30 or 40% of the supplements, um, uh, like an impact on our health is actually driven by placebo effect. So if, if I do believe that it actually works well for my body, then it works well, uh, yes. so um, I love it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I love it. You know, you know. As I was uh, listening to your day and all the things that you talk about, you sound like someone who listens to the Doctor's Kitchen podcast and has put everything in action there, which is great to hear. Because you we know, we talked about fasting with Walter Longo. We've had a number of different researchers looking at sleep as well, and so it's, it's lovely to hear that it's actually been put into practice. But I guess you know, when you're in this when you're in this field, it's very hard to not want to put these things into action immediately. And I guess what I would love to get your opinion on, given that you, know, you, you live and breathe this and you're actually walking the walk as well, is what is the investor field looking like in terms of the future? and what things are on the five to 10-year horizon versus ones that are a lot later. And I, and I think we can probably split these up into different areas as well, because as, as I imagine from your book as well, there's so much stuff going on and it's, it's quite complicated. Mm-hmm. And what, what were the supplements that you just took as well? I just want to... <laughs> yeah,
2: so supplements. I actually, on my website, which is sergeeyang.com, and it's all for free. Um, yeah. um, there's an infographic called 10 Longevity Supplements. I don't know if you can see that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can see that.
2: Yeah, and yeah, like, or your audience can download this. We have a beautiful newsletter, actually, distilling science into very simple work. Mm. Um, and uh, so supplements, uh, let me come back in, in literally in one or two minutes, we'll come back to yeah. your questions about different horizons, where innovation, technological breakthroughs and scientific discoveries will be available to us but like on supplements. And again, remember, there is a placebo effect. And if you're a placebo, man or woman, you're going to respond to that. Um, so vitamin D is, uh, I do believe that um, our lifestyle has changed significantly in the last uh, thousand years. We're always under the roof. We are in the car or in the office or at home. So we don't have time to develop like appropriate level of vitamin D. So I'm supplementing myself with vitamin D. By the way, for your supplement mix, you can experiment yourself, but I would advise actually to ask the help of the doctor or nutritionist, um, Then it's going to be much more comprehensive. Um, So vitamin D, then omega-3. I have particularly high cholesterol level. I am genetically predisposed. Mm. Uh, to have high cholesterol. So I'm actually, um, I'm taking quite a lot of omega-3. I usually use the Nordic uh, one, which they do from small, oily, wild fish. Um, then what else? Milk thistle for my liver. And and it's all on rotation. With the exception of vitamin D and omega-3, the rest is like you know, I'm taking this for a month and then I'm waiting three to five months to do another one month course, right? So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of not constantly supplementing my own body, but I leave a lot of capacity for body to develop this thing and get it from uh, the food to the extent that we can, uh, given the current development of the food industry and food supply chain. But um, so it's milk thistle, seaweed. I'm big fan of seaweeds. So I was mm-hmm. born not... In the middle of nowhere, in the end of nowhere, in the USSR, in a place uh, which which was closer to Japan, I live literally like 200 oh, wow. miles across from the northern Japanese island, and it was 300 miles to the regional capital and 200 miles to Japan. But it was former USSR. There's no way I can travel to Japan like I you know I do. Uh, today almost every year or almost like twice a year. So I'm a big fan of seaweeds and I have six different types of seaweed on rotation. So like every month I'll take like spirulina, um, kelp, um, Fukudan, uh, some of the Japanese uh, seaweeds uh, as well uh, to do that. Um, What else? In terms of longevity supplements, there's a number of like NAD plus uh, boosters. The one that I take is NMN. And I'm doing this for the last uh, uh, two years. And uh, this was after like talking to David Sinclair from Harvard Medical School, um, for, to Peter Diamantes from X-Price Foundation, even Eric Verdin, uh, the head of uh, Buck Institute of Aging Research. Mm-hmm. Uh, they based in California. Uh, so they all like were so positive about anime. so I thought, you yeah, know, I'll just need to give it a try. Um, yeah, I'm taking quite a lot of fiber in the form of, um, plants, but also, mm-hmm. um, like I added fiber. I use the Indian one. Uh I don't know if I have it here. Yeah. It's like this. Uh, I, yeah, this one. Uh, it's beautiful. Oh, yeah, it's like mask. the softest, yeah, yeah. yeah, the softest fiber I've ever had in my life. It's like, yeah. it feels so great. <laughs> I love it. Um, uh, what else? Uh, I actually like... I changed my relationship with fiber after experimenting with continuous glucose monitor. I don't have it now, but, Mm. um, for the last six months I use, uh, CGM, uh, at least four times. And it actually Mm. works for 14 days. And it's, you can easily synchronize it with your, um, smartphone. And, uh, it was fascinating to see the relationship between the food and, and drinks that I take with my glucose spikes. And some yeah. of the outcomes are pretty obvious, like um, like if you take freshly squeezed orange juice, you think it's healthy, but it's like you just taking the sugar, right? You know, mm. up to this level. Uh, it's going to be on any possible boundaries. Uh, so I, I was expecting that. Well, the other thing uh, that I was not expecting, like if you take like a portion of vegetables right in the beginning of your meal, and uh, the first time I, I read this was, I think it was Tim Ferris. I think four hours work week. No, it was four hours body. I think uh, his book. And um, you can actually take. Um, um, some of the prohibited or blacklisted food later on. So like I'm a big fan of pasta, big fan yeah. of uh, gelato or which is ice cream in yeah. Italian. So and I don't do it uh frequently, but if I do it like once a month, I would actually take vegetables first and it's actually what it does uh if you start with vegetables is actually uh slow down uh, and and um Mm, and decrease the rate of growth of your like it's almost like a smoothen your glucose spike inside, uh, sorry in uh, in your blood. So it was really fascinating just to observe like relationship between you know all these intakes that i have and my uh glucose level
1: cgms are going to be really useful i think when it comes to what food combinations work for different people because you're right that that phenomena of seeing something that is you know quote unquote unhealthy being actually Uh, pretty good as far as we look at with regards to the um the sugar level in your blood Mm -hmm. that that's super interesting i think that's like a a very easy understandable tangible idea for for listeners to think about how data is going to really drive personalized nutrition
2: it's just an example right yeah but what i also like i'm very visual person and i really respond to like visual stimulus if you want if i can use this word and um when you're actually about to take something which you know is not super healthy, you just visualize, okay, I'm going to, you know, in 15 minutes or like in 30 minutes, I'm going to look at my, uh, in, in my app, which shows my, you know, glucose in the blood and I'll see the spike. It actually prevents you uh, mm. from making unhealthy food choices. That's what I like. Uh, but remember, I'm like, forgive me, I'm placebo man. So I'm really responding. To <laughs>
1: yeah. Sergey, this has been uh, brilliant <laughs> in terms Thanks, of all the information you have. the The book's brilliant; it's got so much information about what the future could look like. And uh, I think it's you know it might be premature to think about the uh, moral implications. And you know, as humans, we have a checkered past with uh, power struggles and invasions and all the rest of it. So I think it's nice to think about this because, like you said, th- this is inevitable. The technology around, lo- around longevity is coming. Um, and we have to prepare for it as much as possible. So it's great. And the book's fab.
2: Thank you. Thanks, Ruby,
1: And to our audience, no stay healthy and happy.
2: We're all going to be living longer or significantly longer than we expect. There are a number of implications uh, from this thought and this key message of the book on so many dimensions like personal health strategy, personal financial strategy, relationship, career, education, kids, etc. just give it a thought. It's, uh, it's an amazing journey to realize how many opportunities we have to live longer, healthier and happier life.
1: Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Doctor's Kitchen podcast. I really hope you found all the information useful. Remember, you can get this week's podcast recipe of the week, the Sulfuraphane Sauté from the Doctor's Kitchen app. The link is in the bio. And we're going to be adding new recipes every week, plus developing new features including some of the technologies that we actually talked about on this podcast episode as well. So watch out for those. We've got big dreams and big ambition to make this the best app that you have on your phone. And yes, Android users, I'm really sorry. We are still working on an Android version and hopefully we'll have something later on in the year. I will see you here next time.